So I'm a little excited that Jeremy's here. <laughs> Come stand right here by me. It is my distinct honor to introduce our speaker of the hour. Pastor Jeremy Olson grew up in this church, and we take great pride. We take great pride in being his sending church. I have a favorite memory of a time when it was confirmed to me that Jeremy was totally and wholly surrendered to God and his son, Jesus Christ. Our children had gathered for a Good, day, a good Friday day camp, and this was Jeremy's first time to be a helper because he had just graduated out of children's ministries. And so he was one of the most eager workers that I have ever had the pleasure of guiding. At Good Friday Day Camp, it was our custom at one point in the day to, to allow each child to carry a, a child-sized cross on their back across the room while saying, it should have been me on the cross. And it was always a very solemn and a serious part of our ritual, you remember? On this particular day, I asked Jeremy to be the very first one. In my mind, I wanted him to be the example and show the others how this was done. But he looked at me very confused and he waved his hand as if to say, no, 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 let the children go first. Remember, I'm not a child anymore. And in retrospect, I could see it had been a generous action of his. And he didn't want to take anything away from the kids getting this experience first. But at the time, I wasn't sure what was going through his mind. And I wanted to acknowledge and reaffirm that, yes, he was moving on to a more mature uh, stage of life. So I just gently moved on to one of the other young helpers. And one by one, all of the children took their turns. And then, unexpected to me, one by one, all of the adults and the youth helpers also began to take their turns of carrying the cross. And it was then that I saw Jeremy start to squirm. Jeremy was squirming as he stared down at these participants, each taking their turns carrying the cross. And I could see that he could not wait he could not wait to take his turn to carry the cross. And when I came to Jeremy, there was this, I, I can see it now, there was a wild look in his eyes as if he was saying, give me the cross, give me the cross. He could not wait. I mean, that's how dramatic it was. I remember it like it was yesterday. Perhaps there is no other memory I have of Pastor Jeremy that so typifies his intensity for living life in the shadow of the cross and his Savior, Christ Jesus. And that same intensity has grown with each passing year. And today, we could not be more proud of being his sending church. I became keenly aware of his influence while enjoying his wedding. When the moment came for the bride and the groom to dance their first dance, the room was filled with an indescribable holy hush. And every eye in the room, including every child, was riveted to watch to see what love looks like. And as I scanned the room, I imagined all the totally diverse lives that Jeremy and his lovely bride, Hannah, were touching day by day and how God was doing a beautiful and a holy thing. 
Pastor Jeremy and Hannah now serve in a neighborhood of Chicago through New Life Centers with a focus on children and youth and their families. May God bless their unique ministry and transform these neighborhoods into centers of light and hope. And it is my great privilege to introduce to you Pastor Jeremy Olson. Wow, that was my on. Here we go. Test, test, test. Am I there? Hello, hello, hello. Test, test, test. I'm green. Test, 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 test. Test, test. Anything? I can get a handheld. I don't like these things anyway. All right. Test, 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 test. Okie dokie. Well, thank you, Denise. Um, that's very humbling, considering the message that I'm about to preach about myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> you'll find about, about that later. Um, just a warning, forewarning. I, I teach in the hoods of Chicago, and in, in a church in the, in the hoods of Chicago, in churches, um, my hood is made up of primarily uh, Mexican, Puerto Rican, and African American. And so they do church a little different. Um, they're a little bit louder. They go a little bit longer. And I'm really trying not to go long because I know I only have so much time before the other service gets in. So be praying that I can be clear and succinct and get this thing done. Uh, but I'm going to jump right in, actually, uh, to the scriptures so we can just get going. Um, so... Uh, Pastor Aaron told me I was going to preach on um, the parable of the prodigal son. And I got the, he said, which one do you want to choose? And I said, well, I'm going to take the elder brother uh, because I actually feel like I'm more, most like the elder brother. The heart of the elder brother I actually feel like I relate to very, very much. I mean, you'll see why in a second. Um, but the prodigal son is a beautiful story. I mean, I remember hearing the story of the prodigal son being taught by Denise, being taught by Marla, being taught um, in this church by Pastor Tom, even I think Pastor Holcomb, I probably heard a sermon. Um, I went to Moody Bible Institute and graduated there, and I heard so many people teach um, in my classes and even at the chapels about the prodigal son. I went to seminars and heard about the prodigal son. And it's a beautiful story. I mean, it, it's, it's a beautiful depiction of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a son that runs away from his father, takes his inheritance early when he shouldn't have, and goes and squanders it on what the scriptures say, wild living. Wild living. And I will get into what wild living is. I'm sure you can kind of fill in the dots about what wild living is. Um, but just squanders it on wild living and then decides, hey, I'm going to come back to my dad. And, and, and the father opens up his arms. He sprints. He sees the son in the distance, sprints towards him and covers him in his love. And the son's like, Father, I, I put my identity in the wrong things. I thought that these worldly things would satisfy, but I know that only your love will satisfy. And the father sweeps him up. He says, you're no longer, and the son wants to be a slave. And the father says, no, you're not going to be a slave. Even though that's what you deserve because you abandoned the family, you're going to be reinstated into my family. And I'm going to pour my love and my care into you. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story of the gospel. For me, though, I always had a hard time relating to the prodigal son. 
I don't know if that's anybody else in this, this room. I always found myself trying to relate to the prodigal son, um, like, like thinking of sins that I've done, um, to, to say, oh yeah, I, I've ran away from God in that way, and I've ran away from God in that way, and God is welcoming me back. But I really, if I'm honest, my whole life have really had a hard time relating to this character. Because if I'm honest, I'm really not a prodigal son. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a runner. I'm a rule follower. I love rules. Like when, when, when someone's about to do something like mildly illegal, like climb something like that's not super bad, but you could still maybe get in trouble or get a, a finger waved at you and say, don't do this. I'm like, nope, not doing it. I don't want to get in trouble. I want to do the right thing. Okay, I'm a rule follower, and I grew up in a church, and because there are a lot of great and beautiful rules, because rules protect and guide us, right? God gave us rules to keep us safe. But because we, I grew up in a church of rules, um, I was, I did, some people get bitter, and they're like, I can't do all these rules. I can't do all these things. I'm out. I was like, yes, give me the rules. I am good at rules. Let's do these rules. Um, and so... I, they were good with me. So I served, you know, I taught children. I, I grew up. Um, you saw me grow up, most of you. Um, I now have a, a beautiful wife that loves Jesus. Um, I love to pray. I love to read my Bible. I, I serve in a ministry. I'm a missionary. So there's a lot God has blessed me with. And, and this is who I am. So I, so I look at my kind of track record of who I am and who, who I've become. And I'm like, man, I'm not a prodigal son. I'm not. I would see myself more as moral than most. Um, yes, I sin and I, and I make mistakes and I do things, but not as much as everybody else. Not as much as everybody else, right? I know, I see the laughing. <laughs> but the reality is, if, if we get down to the heart of most of us. I know that really sounds bad up front, but if we stop and step into that for a second, I think I'm not the only one who doesn't usually see themselves as a prodigal son. Um, I think that a lot of us see ourselves as, as moral, as, as good, as righteous, and for good reason, because most of us are moral, good, and righteous. Yes, because of what God has done in our lives, but a lot of times when I go to churches, I'm more surrounded by not prodigal sons, but those that are following God, those that are teaching the scriptures, those that are serving in the, in the ministries, those that are attending church and praying and reading their Bible. And so I, I think that most of us in this room, if we were being honest with ourselves, not all, um, but most of us really, we really aren't necessarily the prodigal son. We're good moral Christians. We're, we're, we want the best for our country. We want the best leader for our country. We go to work. We do our best to love kids and our wives, our children. We, we, we aren't rebellious. We're righteous. We aren't rebellious. We're righteous. So I want to actually start at Luke chapter 15 because I actually think that the prodigal son isn't necessarily directed to um, the younger brother, um, it's actually directed to the elder brother, and it's actually directed to me and that heart that I just communicated to you. And, and I think a lot of our hearts, if we really get down to it, um, and we're going to see really, we're going to take a new look at this story, um, and, and a look at this story that I think Jesus intended the meaning to come through as. So 
We're going to start in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, cover two verses, and then jump into the prodigal son story. Uh, because this kind of guides the story. If you don't know this, you don't know who Jesus is addressing the story to, and you don't know why. So we're going to look at the who and the why really quick. Luke 15, uh, verse 1, says this, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this story. So there I read that when I was actually studying this, and I said, wait, 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 wait. You're saying that this story isn't actually directed to the tax collectors and the sinners. This story is actually directed and spoken to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the moralists of their day, the church of that day. They were the leaders of the temple. They taught. They served. They followed the rules. So this story is actually addressed to the Pharisees. And why is it addressed to the Pharisees? Because we see this image, this story is coming about, and we see the Pharisees and the teachers of the law over here, and we see Jesus and the tax collectors and sinners over here, and Jesus is associating with, he's, he's going to, he's welcoming them into his presence, and not only that, but he's actually eating with them, physically eating with them, which implies that he's sharing his life with them, and they're sharing his life with him. And the tax collectors are over, or, sorry, not the tax collectors, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are over here, and they're looking at that and saying, Jesus, you really shouldn't be with them. They're not righteous and moral and holy. You should be with us. You should be eating with us. Why are you not eating with us? Why are you eating with them? They don't follow the law of Moses. They don't follow the Old Testament. They break it. They're unclean. They're unholy. They're tax collectors. We hate tax collectors. They steal from us. You should not be over there. You should be over here with us. And so this is the backdrop of the prodigal son. Um, before I go any farther, let me just add to who the sinners and outcasts would be in our day because I think this is important. Who are the sinners and outcasts of our day? If we took this story and threw it into 2016, who would they be? Let me define for you who I believe the outcasts of society look like in our nation and in our churches um, the outcasts of society are the ones that are different from us. They are the ones we avoid, reject, are afraid of, the ones we ignore, the ones we hate, and the ones we look down on. Outcasts of society are the ones we avoid, reject, are afraid of, ignore, hate, the ones we look down on, the ones that are different from us, the ones that don't fit into how we do life. So I would give you this list, and I think there's many more. But I'm going to give you the list. Homosexuals. People from Muskegon Heights. Immigrants. Prostitutes. Drug dealers. Prisoners. Those with a prison record. Gangbangers. Refugees. Somalians. People um, who worship Islam or in the religion of Islam. Mentally and physically disabled. Homeless. Orphans. Moms who have four kids, each with a different baby daddy. You know what I'm saying? Different, different dad, four kids. Um, people who get money from the government and don't work. Um, people that are of a different religion or race. Um, politicians. Politicians. Yeah. Outcasts. Nobody likes them. Outcasts. And so... Jesus would have associated himself with these people. He would actually, I would say, go, welcome them, go to them, 
welcome them into his presence and eat with them. That's uncomfortable. I think it's uncomfortable for me. Maybe it's uncomfortable for you. You have to decide that. Let's get into the text. Verse 11, chapter 15 of Luke. Yeah, I'm standing up. Watch out. Here we go. (laughs) Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So a father has two boys, and he has um, his estate, his inheritance, everything that he has. And what's typical in this culture is once you die, or once the father gets old and is about to pass away, then the sons get their inheritance. This younger brother is going to his father early, which is despicable, which is unheard of in this culture, and says, I want my inheritance now. So not long after that, the younger brother got all he had together because I give it to you because I love you. And he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Um, Later we see in the text that he actually squandered his wealth on prostitutes um, and everything else that comes with prostitutes. Um, In my neighborhood, that's drugs, alcohol, everything. Um, Squandered on wild living. After that, he spent every day there, and and a severe famine covered the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to to the fields to feed the pigs. So by this time, not only are the Pharisees who are listening to this story, who the story is intended for, they're hearing that this, this son disowned his father and his family, and they're hearing that this son is not only doing that, but he's associating with pigs. Okay, this man is Jewish. A pig is an unclean animal. You don't go by pigs. I mean, you can go by pigs, but you don't touch a pig's carcass and I'm pretty sure that this boy, if he's wanting to eat the pig's food, he's associating way too much with these pigs. And so he's naturally disgusting in their eyes, despicable and disgusting um, to the Pharisees. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. And this is where we see the beautiful display of the gospel right here. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with a compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. A beautiful line of repentance. I have sinned against you and I have sinned against God. But the father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate a full reinstatement of this son. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it, but he got fully reinstated into this family. You know what that means? That means that the portion of of the inheritance that was left for the older brother just got cut in half. Just got cut in half. So he just lost half his money that he earned and worked for. So now let's go to the other brother because this is our focus. This is who Jesus wants. This is how he ends it. This is what he wants us to focus on. Okay? Whew. 
take a look at the elder brother's heart. My heart at times and some of our hearts, I think. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? And the servant said, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. You don't kill a fattened calf on any day, all right? This is like a sometimes every, every now and then, every now and then year, you know, every other year. Big celebrations, you kill a fattened calf. You don't kill it every day, all right? Not like Thanksgiving turkey. It's, 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 it's even better than that. This is price choice meat, expensive. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Here's where we see his heart. So number one, he refuses to go in. In that culture, if, the, if your father is throwing a party and you refuse to go in, you are publicly shaming him. Publicly shaming his father right now because everybody knows that the older brother should be in there celebrating with his younger brother and he is publicly shaming them because he refuses to go in. He's manipulating his father. Why is he manipulating his father? Because he wants his father to come out and he won't go in. I ain't going into the celebration. I ain't going into the gospel of Jesus Christ. I ain't going into that. He didn't earn that. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Another extremely shameful thing that the son forces on his father because everybody in that party is watching the father stand up from his meal, stand up from from dancing and singing and rejoicing and having to walk out to his older son because his older son is angry. Now here's where, so he pleads with his older son and now here's where we hear the brother's heart, older brother's heart. So he answers his father, look, all of these years, I, I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. All these years I have been working hard. I have had a good character. I have been happy to do your work. I have never once said no to you. I have showed up every day and worked your fields and worked your grounds every day. I am a good person. I am a righteous person. I am a moral person. I'm a good son. I never made a mistake. I may have done some things bad, but Dad, I, I apologize. I stood up for them, and I'm here now. Look, all of these years I've been slaving for you, yet you never gave me even a younger goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. That shows his heart's intentions of why he served. I served you not because I loved you. I served you to get your things. I served you, Father, not because I loved you. I served you because I wanted your inheritance. I didn't want you. You never gave me even a young goat. But when this son of yours, notice he doesn't even take his brother as a part of his family. When this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. The brother's ticked, and for good reason. For good reason. This does not make sense to the world. This does not make sense. This brother squandered all his wealth. He took his portion, and now the older son loses half of what he has earned. His whole life he has been working for this, and now it gets ripped out of his hands because the younger brother decided that he made a bad choice. And so he's angry with his father. He's ticked off as his father. But then we see his heart behind it. Again, why he did what he did. He did it because he didn't love the Father. He did it because he knew that his good works and his righteousness and his moralism and his character and his hard work would get him what he wanted. And in this case, it's material possessions. 
he manipulates his father. And so his father has one last statement. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father just stops and says, my son, would you come into the gospel? I know it doesn't make sense. I know he didn't earn what he deserved. And I know you think that you earned what you deserved. But that's not what it's about. It's about me and my love for my children and my celebration at receiving them in and loving them and and adoring them. And so we end with this question to the Pharisees, not to the tax collectors and sinners. And, and it ends there. It just ends there. It just drops off. What, and the question is, what, what did they do? What did the Pharisees do? Jesus just told them this, just told them that their heart is manipulating God. It's not loving God. What do they do? And so it ends with a question. And so I want to end with three questions. And by end, I mean I'm still going to go another 15 minutes, so buckle up. But I want to end with three questions. Three questions that I truly want us, church, to ponder because I do, I do believe that we are in this room, we are wonderful men and women of God who do truly love the Father, but I believe that our love for the Father can waver back and forth. And if we don't watch our heart, most people in the church, most, not all, most people in the church, if we don't watch our heart and keep it close to the gospel, we're going to fade over here to the Pharisees. And I believe that that's actually what the church in America is doing currently, the majority of the church. I'm not saying you as an individual You can only decide that and God can only decide that, but I am saying the majority of the church because I don't see the church filled with homosexuals, struggling homosexuals, um, people from Muskegon Heights, immigrants, prostitutes, drug dealers, prisoners, those with a prison record, gangbangers, refugees, mentally and physically disabled, the homeless, the orphans, moms who have four kids, each with a different baby daddy, people who take money from the government and don't work. I don't see the church filled with these people. I don't see the church filled with the poor. And from the beginning of history, when Jesus Christ came, did you know that in in Acts, the poor rushed to the gospel of Jesus Christ? They rushed to the church. The slaves that were in bondage the rest of their lives, they rushed to the gospel of Jesus Christ in the church because that was a place that gave them hope. But I think as church As people of the body of Christ, sometimes our hearts lean this way and they don't lean the way that Jesus' heart always lent. And that scares me. So three questions. Three questions. Why are you or why are we doing the things that we are doing? I want you, if you have a pen and paper, please write that down. Please, please think about that question over this week. Why are you doing what you're doing? What I mean by that is why are you the father that you are? Why are you being the father that you are? Why are you being the mother that you are? Why are you being the husband or the wife that you are? Why are you coming to church on Sundays? Why are you praying? Why are you reading the Bible? Why are you working your job faithfully? or not working your job faithfully? Why are you, why do you have the friends that you have? Why do you go to the things that you go to? Why do you go to the restaurants that you go to? Why, why, do, you, why do you live in the home that you live in? Why do you do the things that you do? 
I believe this. I believe that, or let me just ask, let me just continue with the question, sorry. Is what we do motivated? Is what we do motivated by a love for God or a love for material possessions? Is what we do motivated by a love for God or a love for things? Is what we do motivated by a love for God or a love for ourselves? Do we just do the things of God so we can get what we want from God? Not because we actually truly love God. Is what we do motivated um, by a love for God or is it motivated by the lie of the American dream that is found nowhere in Scripture? Is what we do motivated by a love for God or is it motivated by a lie of the American dream which is nowhere found in Scripture? Is what we do motivated by a love for God or is it motivated, motivated by a love for our nation? Our nation is not the kingdom of God, folks. I love our nation. God bless America. But it's not the kingdom of God. Our nation can't bring us to Jesus. Only Jesus can bring us to Jesus. Only the gospel can bring us to Jesus. Is what we're doing motivated by our love for, for having a good family, for, for giving our kids something? Is that why we're doing what we're doing? Or are we, or are we doing it because we love God? Are we, just do, are we just being a good father and a good mother so that we, our kids can be happy one day? Is it strictly for them or is it for God? Are we doing what we are doing out of a love for God or are we doing it in order to control and manipulate God like the older brother, like the Pharisee? Why do we do what we do? Why do you, why do I do what I do? We have to assess that. You could be doing all the right things and still miss God. Doing the right things for the wrong reasons is still sin. Doing the right things for the wrong reasons, for the wrong motivation is still sin. God cares about the motivation of the heart and not just what you're doing, not just the actions, not just the righteous and good deeds. He cares more about the motivation of the heart because the Pharisees were clean on the outside and dirty on the inside. The Word of God says they were graveyards. They were grave tunes, adorned and beautiful on the outside, but in their heart, at the motivation of their heart, they were dead and empty. I don't think we're dead and empty, but I think a lot of times we want to run over and play dead and empty for a little bit with the Pharisees, because I like rules. <laughs> rules are nice. <laughs> Second question. Okay, here we go. Are you welcoming outcasts into your lives and eating with them? That's a really clear, just right out of scripture. We're called to reflect Jesus. Jesus went to outcasts. He found them. He didn't just stay where he was. He got up out of his home, out of wherever he was, and he figured out where the outcasts were, and he went to them. He found them. He started talking to them, and he ate with them. He said, come into my family. Come into my home. Let me eat with you. Let me eat with you. Let me eat with a homeless man. Let me eat with somebody who, who grew up in Muskegon Heights. Let me eat with somebody who's doing a lot of the wrong things. God said, love me and love people. The reason the Pharisees didn't love people was because he, they didn't truly love God. 
And whenever we decide that we are going to fade into the heart of the Pharisees, we will automatically kick out people from our lives. If we are not loving God, if we are not making sure we understand why we are doing what we are doing and it's motivated out of a love for God, then we will unintentionally put up barriers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I get passionate about this because I see it every day where I live. Every day where I live, people aren't welcomed in the gospel to the gospel of Jesus Christ because they don't look the part. They don't act the part. And I think that's unintentional, but that's still a problem. The elder brother didn't want the younger brother to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's what we need to remember. That's where this is coming from. That's why I'm backing this up, okay? When you don't love God, you don't want people to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. The elder brother said, he can't come in. He shouldn't be having a party. How dare you celebrate him? He didn't earn it. He doesn't deserve it, but I have. And if we are not careful, our hearts will fade to the Pharisee's heart, to the righteous and the moralistic heart, and we will be doing. And I think a lot of the church, and I struggle with this daily, even in the hood where I'm serving, I do this and I point and say, why can't you just get your act together? And we put these barriers up to the gospel. And we forget that nobody, as you all were snickering when I was talking, nobody deserves God. Nobody has earned salvation because it's the heart that matters to God, not what you're doing. Church, we have believed a lie. This is going to be a hard one, all right? Maybe, hopefully. <laughs> but I got to tell you this lie. We believed a lie. We believe that our lives, our homes, our families, our job, our friends, our neighborhood, and even sometimes God's love for us is a product of our righteousness, morals, character, and hard work. We believe that everything that we have and everything that God has blessed us with is actually a product of our hard work and our righteousness and our character. You know why I know that's true? I hear it every day. I hear people attack my black brothers and sisters from the hood and say, if they just worked hard, they wouldn't have these problems. If they just worked hard and grew some character, they wouldn't be shooting and killing each other. I'm sorry, but that's not the gospel. We don't just work hard and get things. This is the truth that corrects that lie. Everything that we have and are is a gift from God given to us freely by his grace, mercy, and love. You know how I know that's the truth and the other one's a lie? Because God could take our lives, our homes, our families, our children in a second, and all of our hard work, all of our character, and all of our morals couldn't get them back. That's how you know that all of our righteous deeds and our morals and our good works, they are founded. They have to be founded and grounded on the gospel of Jesus Christ, on a God who gives freely out of love and compassion and joy. And if we move, we remove the gospel from these things, then we're living lies. We're walking around thinking, yeah, I was the one who, 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 cre- who, had, who ordained my conception. No, God ordained our conceptions. You wouldn't even be here if God didn't ordain it. We wouldn't have the jobs that we have if God didn't sovereignly allow those things to happen. You may have worked hard. You may have worked your your hardest. I see mothers from the hood working their hardest every day, and they never get a good job. 
They never get a good job, and they are, they are supporting five kids, and they're working two jobs, and they stay at minimum wage their whole lives. Our families and our lives are not based on our works. They are based on God's grace and favor and mercy to us. And he gives and he takes away, folks. He gives and he takes away. He is in control. We are not. We're getting close, all right? We're almost done. This is humbling to me. I think it should be humbling to us all, and here's the deal. But because we believe this lie, that everything that we have and are is based on our works and our righteousness and our morals, sometimes we believe this lie. We think that we have a right to decide who gets in and who stays out, and the way we do this is by our own experiences, The way we do this is by what we have personally experienced. But the problem is that people of a different color or religion or sexual orientation or socioeconomic status or culture or language, they don't have the same experiences as us. They don't. Their lives don't look the same as us. They never have. They're different. And therefore, therefore they will never meet our expectations to get into the gospel of Jesus Christ. They'll never meet our expectations. They'll never make it in the church because they can't survive because they don't fit in here. If we live in a heart of the Pharisee, then people will never fit in here. They will never survive. They might come in here, but they'll be like, this place isn't for me. This place is not for me because my experiences are not the same as them, and nobody wants to listen to my experiences. Everybody just wants to convert me into their own experiences. It is no longer a free gift anymore. I believe in a lot of the church, the gospel. It's no longer by grace alone. It's no longer by faith alone. It's no longer through Christ alone. We've added rules. We've added barriers around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you can't get through them, if other people, outsiders, outcasts, can't get through them, you're never gonna, it's never going to work. It's never going to work. They must change and become like us, or they will never be good enough for the gospel. That's the heart of a Pharisee. That's the heart that I struggle with. I struggle with that. Do you struggle with that? Now, warning in what I said, in regards to actions that are illegal, immoral, unbiblical, and unethical, okay, I'm not saying that the gospel does not require repentance and turning from sin. Those things need to happen. I'm speaking of when I said um, people that come in from different sexual orientations, okay, we know what the word of God says about homosexuality, okay? So we don't, we don't just cover that up in the scripture and say, yeah, whatever, whatever is goes here, right? That's not what I'm saying. But I'm also not saying, and I'm also not saying to open up the church doors and adopt secular and sinful practices. We cannot do that. We cannot do that. We can't fade into the younger brother mentality, right? I'm just saying that we have to love people in their sin toward the gospel of Jesus Christ, Love them in their sin towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't make them change first and then give them the gospel second. Because they can't change without the gospel. We didn't change without the gospel. The only way to take down these barriers is to welcome sinners, outcasts, those who are different than us, into our lives and our families and actually physically eat with them. I believe that is the only, only answer to getting your heart back to the gospel. 
is to go and find people that are different than us, that are of a different race, color, even religion, sexual orientation, living in the hoods of Muskegon Heights. Go find them and say, hey, I want to get to know you. I want you to come and live. I want you to come and eat with me. I want to take you out to Subway and just hear about your life. And then you start to share the gospel as the Lord leads. We have to go and sit and welcome sinners into our lives and eat with them. Are you welcoming sinners into your lives and eating with them? Are we doing that, church? And my last point is this, and it's similar to what the Father said. It's my last question. Will you come to the celebration of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will you come to the celebration of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will our hearts, whether, whether our hearts are like the elder brothers, where we want to control God with our righteous deeds, or whether our hearts are like the prodigal sons who just don't give a rip about what God wants and just want to do our own thing? Will we come to the celebration of the gospel? Because Jesus didn't just give the gospel to the prodigal sons. He gave it to the Pharisees. He said, will you leave your moralism and your righteous deeds behind and fall onto Christ? Will we do that? Will we be overcome by this God who sent his son out of love and grace and, and came and became man and died for our sins, died for our pride, died for our self-righteousness? When we wanted to keep others out of the gospel or keep others out of the church, will we fall on our knees and come to the celebration of the God who is inviting people in? He says, I don't care where you are. I don't care if you're a real good person or a real bad person. You all need me. Will we let him transform our hearts day in and day out because the gospel is an everyday thing because every day we are pulled this way or we are pulled that way. We submit ourselves and say, Lord, I want to celebrate with you today because I know that I was a sinner and I am found in you. Would we, would we stop and say, you are a good, good father. And I'm loved by you when I don't deserve it. God welcomes us. Just like the father welcomed his other, other elder son and pleaded with him to come into the party, God pleads with our hearts this morning and says, come into the celebration of the gospel. Will you do that? Remember my three questions. Why do you do what you do? Are you welcoming sinners and outcasts into your lives and eating with them? And will you join in the celebration of the gospel? Because it's an exciting thing, as God, and God is doing work, as you know, as I know. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take your word of truth, and you would mend it, and mold it, and come, and cut our hearts to the core, that we would love you, and do things for you because we love you, that our motivations would be right. We adore you, Jesus, and we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In your name, amen. Thank you, for Jeremy. That was uh, beautiful. It was challenging. Take those words with you this week and chew on them and let them transform who we are as a church and how we reach out uh, to those that we come into contact with. Let us be beacons and lighthouses for God. 
Let me talk about Jeremy for just one more second. Jeremy is a missionary a pastor. And of course, we're going to give him a token of our love and appreciation. But we're also going to have an offering plate at the door today as we leave because we want to give him a love offering over and above just payment for a good job done. We want to be the sending church. So if you would dig a little bit deeper into your pockets as you leave the sanctuary today, we want to send Jeremy and Hannah off with a tangible gift that says, thank you for coming. We love you dearly. We're praying for you. We are supporting you. So would you stand please with me? May God bless you with the remembrance of the word that we've heard today. May God bless you as you think about the concepts that have come to your mind. And may God bless the actions that come from our hearts, our, our hands, our feet, our tongues, our ears, as we continue to serve him this week. Go in God's grace.